Chapter 31. The Chef Awakens. Elsewhere in Dor, another bell was ringing. It was calling people to a feast. Villagers flocked to the centre of town where a lavishly set table awaited them under a shining sun. Baskets of fruit, wheels of cheese, sausages, roasted pheasants, sweets, cakes of figs, dates and prunes and more delicacies piled high atop the table. The food seemed to go on forever and the bell's toll invited all to enjoy it. Clang, clang, clang. Oh, 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 Andre murmured. The chef sat alone in the royal kitchen. His eyes were closed and he slurped as if relishing the most scrumptious meal. When Andre awoke, the dinner bell was still ringing in his head. Was he imagining it? Imagining it? Or did he hear clanging on the other side of the wall? Andre glanced toward the mouse hole just as the noise stopped. The chef looked around his quiet kitchen. It was cold and empty. The feast had been nothing but a dream. Enough, he said, jumping to his feet. Andre pulled a knife from a large wooden block. He grabbed some carrots. He reached for some celery stalks, a few tomatoes, and of course, garlic. He chopped with fast, expert movements. His hand was but a blur. Quack, 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 chop, 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 chop. Aha, Andre said, laughing to himself. Oh, me we. The chef dumped the chopped ingredients into a gleaming stockpot. A rich broth began to simmer. Andre leaned forward and smelled the aroma, as comforting as a long-lost friend. Oh, he sighed, inhaling the fragrant steam that danced above the pot. The smell of soup travelled from the royal kitchen to other rooms. It drifted into every corner of the castle. It rose into chimneys and pipes and wafted out into streets. In the lifeless square below, a sleepy villager was sitting on a stoop when the scent tickled his nostrils. His eyes widened. He stopped, then sniffed. By the man's feet, his dog sniffed too. The man and the dog looked at each other. It had been a long time, but they knew that smell. But there was something else. The villager felt a familiar sensation. Was it? Could it be? He looked in disbelief at the sky, and he felt it again. He stuck his hand out, and then he was sure. He actually felt it. A raindrop. Andre grabbed more cloves of garlic, cloves of garlic, and merrily flung them into the pot. Just over his shoulder, the pages of his cookbook stirred, as if a gentle breeze had passed through the room. Fruits and vegetables of every kind sprung from the book. They rose above the table and formed into Baldo's smiling face. The genie looked over Andre's shoulder and inspected the bubbling pot of soup. Look at you, Baldo said. You're still brewing tea. Andre spun around. If you want to make a statement, what do I say? Baldo said, pointing a string bean finger at Andre. Make it a good one. Andre smiled at his old friend. It is so good to see you. Fantastique, Andre said, throwing himself into Baldo's arms. Andre and Baldo embraced and without missing a beat got to work. Majorin? Andre asked. Love it, Baldo said. Perfect. Ah, oh, bellissimo. Raindrops pattered against the kitchen windows. Small puddles formed in the streets. Dorians all over the kingdom opened their windows and doors to have a look. People filled the square and pointed their faces toward the sky, feeling the cool drops for the first time in ages. And then their noses twitch. The villagers inhaled the soup's aroma. In the mouse village, Despero's nose twitched too. He sniffed again and wondered where that smell was coming from. The royal kitchen was becoming the wonderful mess it once was. 
Shiny pots and pans were replaced by tomato splats, carrot tops, corn husks and onion peelings. And in the cooking frenzy, Baldo grew and grew and grew with excitement to twice the size he was before. Cauliflower? Andre asked. Perfecto, Baldo replied. Some celery? Good. The pair was so enthralled by their latest creation that neither the chef nor the genie noticed the small visitor who had entered through the mouse hole and was trying to catch their attention. Hey, hello, Despero called up to them. Celery, parsnips, Baldo said. Down here, Despero cried by Andre's feet. Andro consulted Baldo before adding other ingredients. The princess is in danger, yelled Despero. Garlic, did I use garlic, Baldo asked. Despero was about to scream at the top of his little mouse lungs when his eye caught something twinkling on the kitchen floor. Amid the scraps of hacked up produce lay a small needle. Andre tested the soup. Bravo! He cried, wincing. The chef grabbed his foot and peered down at the mouse who had just stabbed it. The princess is in danger, Despero yelled, holding the needle like a sword. Andre leaned in close, his face as large as a giant's. Oh, you're a cute little mouse. Would you like some soup? Andre's huge hand reached down and picked up the mouse by the tail. Despero hung upside down. No, I don't want, he said indignantly. The princess is in danger. And he's a talking mouse, Andre said. Listen, you've got to help me. Perhaps a little cheese, Andre asked, setting Despero up on the table. No, I don't want cheese, Despero said. The princess is in danger. She's locked up in the dungeon. Baldo gasped. In the dungeon? Oh, don't be silly, my little mouse friend, Andre said. Everything is fine. The princess is perfectly safe up in her... Boo! A huge thunderclap shook the castle. Andre went to the window, and he marvelled at the miracle unfolding in front of them. Boom! The thunder echoed throughout the land. Oh, ma, Andre said, staring out the window. He turned back to the kitchen. Bodo, look, it is... But the kitchen was empty. The only movement was a swirl of steam rising from the soup pot. Bodo, Andre looked around. Old friend, where are you? Chapter 32. The battle begins. Despero and Baldo hurried toward the dungeon stairs. Charge! the mouse cried from Baldo's shoulder. With each step, the genie grew larger and larger, and the mouse rose higher and higher, until at seven feet tall and armoured entirely in kitchenware, the genie looked like the proudest of knights. He wore a mixing bowl as a helmet and a roasting pan as a chest plate. In his hand, he brandished a long rotisserie skewer with a roasted chicken still speared on it. Tell me again, Baldo said. Chivalry, bravery, honour. Despero said, raising his needle into the air. Chivalry, bravery, and honour, Baldo repeated. He thrust his skewer sword with a laugh. Ah, I just love to be out of the kitchen. The genie dashed down the corridor. Into the breach, he cried. Despero clung on tight as Baldo descended the many flights of stairs to the deepest part of the dungeon. Down this way, Despero said at the last step, and he pointed in the direction of the cells. Andiamo, charge, Baldo shouted. They turned down the dark corridor. There, that way, the mouse motioned toward where he'd last seen P. Her door was ajar. Ah, cried Baldo, leaping in front of the princess's cell, and they peered inside. But she was, Despero said. They were too late. P's cell was empty. In the packed Colosseum, Botticelli's booming voice drew the rats' attention away from the princess pinned to the floor, and they looked up at the royal box in anticipation. My friends, my friends, Botticelli cried, placing a paw on Roscuro's shoulder. There are rats, and then there are rats. 
The rowdy audience raised their fists into the air and roared. And now, Botticelli continued, turning toward Roscuro, I would like a huge round of applause for our good friend here, for delivering us our princess. The rats welcomed their new hero with a thundering ovation. There was no denying it. Roscuro was now utterly and unmistakably a rat. His reception could be heard in every corner of the dungeon. In the distance, Despero cupped an ear at the sound. Come on, let's go, he ordered Baldo. They bolted past the cells, following the applause. Oi, hang on, Mig called through the bars of a window. Where are you going? Help! But Baldo and Despero were already marching toward the bridge that led to the Colosseum. Hurry, Despero cried. They did not see the many glowing red dots blinking in the darkness. The rats were watching. Aha, said one, licking his chops at the sight. Look at that. Let's go get him, said another. At his cry, hundreds of rats poured forth from the shadows of the dungeon's hall. They looked like an army. As one, they ran at the genie. Ah! Baldo cried as the army attacked. He tried to move forward, but the rats crawled all over him. They climbed up his legs and into his armour, gnawing away at every limb and joint. Keep going, Despero urged. A rat raced up Baldo's shoulder and lunged for the mouse, but Despero was ready. He wielded his needle like a battle-axe, whacking away as bravely as any full-sized knight, and the rat tumbled to the ground. A second rat followed, and then another. From every side, rats pounced with open jaws. Despero kicked a fat one, pushing him to the ground, and he tossed another. He jabbed and blocked, just as he'd done in the library. Only these were not imaginary enemies. The rats were frighteningly real, and, one by one, the mouse's blows threw them to the dungeon floor. But it was too late for Baldo. The rats bit into his foot with a loud crunch, and the genie crashed down the stairs. When Despero saw him again, the valiant knight was just a long trail of pots and pans. Chapter 33 A Chain of Remarkable Events A ball of light bounced down the dungeon corridor. Gregory the jailer was holding his lamp while making his rounds. His feet rhythmically clomped on the stone, and his ring of keys jangled with each step. He stopped and looked around. A muffled voice called. Gregory tilted his head. Did he hear something? Gregory's ears perked up. He walked back to a cell door and peeked through its smaller window. He saw a girl crouched in the corner of the dingy cell, or what he thought was a girl anyway. With her back to the jailer, she looked more like a mountain of rags. Oh, I'm in here, she screamed into a grate in the floor. Gregory placed a key into the lock and pushed the door open. He stepped inside to get closer. The girl wept, not seeing him enter. The jailer raised his lantern and the beam of light fell upon the top of her left shoulder. Gregory struggled to hold the lantern steady. His hand shook as the light hovered, directly upon the girl's heart-shaped birthmark. The the jailer dropped his ring of keys. Gore, Mig said, turning around at the sound. What took you so long? I've been screaming in here for hours. It's strange to think that the Dorians who gathered outside the castle walls had no idea about the chain of remarkable events occurring within. Not the father-daughter reunion in the dungeon, nor the mouse's quest, not even the capture of their princess who was about to become dinner for the rats. You see, at that moment, the people of Dor were experiencing their own rather remarkable series of events. The villagers had felt the rain and they'd smelled the soup, and now behind them a single ray of light was breaking through the clouds. Look, Pa, there, said a boy pointing to the sky. Up there! The others turned toward the light, and then all together the villagers raised their faces toward the sun. But the king, at his window, looked down. He gazed out at the smiling faces cleansed by the rain and warmed by the sun, and he smelled the aroma of soup brewing.
and a tear formed in the corner of his eye. The king had forgotten. He'd forgotten the smiles and the soup, the rain and the sun, and all of it sparked a flicker of life in his sad heart. Despero opened his eyes. He slowly got to his feet and looked around. The rats were gone. Baldo lay in pieces all over the floor, and the mouse was alone. He hung his head in despair. Nearby, something rustled. Despero looked up to see Baldo's hand stirring. It lifted slightly and pointed in the direction of the Colosseum. Despero looked to Baldo's face, and as if reading the mouse's mind, the genie smiled. The mouse was reminded that night must forge on with bravery, chivalry, and honour. And that is exactly what he did. The Colosseum crawled with rats eager to eat. Everywhere were pointed claws and scaly tails and long dripping teeth. The rats leaned hungrily toward P, and the guards struggled to hold them back with their long sticks. Wait, 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 Botticelli told the crowd. Patience, not yet. He motioned to two of his rats who rolled out a giant gong for all to see. The crowd went wild, knowing that the feast was about to begin. Ah, the honour is all yours, my friend, Botticelli said to Roscuro. He handed him a bone. Eat, 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 the rats chanted. Roscuro took the bone in his paws, and the chant grew louder. Eat, eat, eat. The rat raised the bone into the air. Chapter 34. Time for dinner. Okay, remember when we said that grief was the strongest thing a person could feel? Well, it isn't. It's forgiveness, because a single act of forgiveness can change everything. With the bone still tight in his paw, the rat looked deeply into the princess's eyes, and for the first time the princess looked into the rat's. Sometimes you can tell someone you're sorry without saying a word. Roscuro threw the bone to the ground. No, he said. What? cried Botticelli. Why, you worthless little. The crowd grew louder. Eat, 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 eat. Furious, Botticelli snatched up the bone and banged the gong himself. The crowd stormed the Colosseum floor, trampling one another to be the first to get to pee. Despero arrived just as the wave of rats rushed towards the princess. Ah! He screamed. Despero gasped. What could a single mouse do against this? He thought, looking around the arena. Rats were everywhere. Some were already climbing onto the princess. The only thing free of rats was the cat's cage tucked into a corner. Despero looked at the top of the cage where a large wheel that released the cat was left unguarded. He wove through the mass of rats toward the cage. The cat, as if remembering the little mouse, hissed at Despero through the bars. It looked ravenous, and this time... The mouse welcomed the cat's hunger. He climbed up the side of the cage and grabbed the wheel. Woo! screamed P. Rats had already reached her neck and bared their fangs. They swarmed all over her. Despero turned the wheel and the cage's door creaked open and the cat squeezed through. It burst into the Colosseum with a snarl as loud as a tiger's. Who let him out? Botticelli demanded. The cat extended his claws and slashed at everything in his path. Each swipe sent rats flying into the air. From the top of the cage, Despero watched the rats scatter and scream. Hey, you, said a voice behind him. Despero spun round. Towering over him, two rats held bones over their heads like clubs. He grabbed his sword just as the rats swung, and Despero blocked them both in one move. Get him, Botticelli yelled, pointing Despero out to the others. More rats with bones and spears raced to the top of the cage to join the fight. The mouse was surrounded. "'Ah!' a rat exclaimed, aiming his weapon at the mouse's feet. Despero hopped over it and retaliated with a jab that knocked the rat's hat off. Despero's sword was a blur, swiping in all directions. Another rat struck at Despero and missed, 
but the others were closing in. They stabbed at the mouse with long spears and forks. Despero ducked and darted. He ran through the rat's legs and leapt onto the wheel as more rats scrambled up the side of the cage. The fight raged on, with the mouse and several rats trying to balance on the wheel, spinning underfoot. Roscuro and P watched helplessly. From the corner of his eye, Despero saw the wheel's handle and stepped on it. The wheel whizzed around at blinding speed and sent rats flying. Despero was thrown too. He dropped over the side of the cage. At the last moment, he caught the edge of the roof with his paw and hung on for his life. P looked at Despero's feet swinging in midair, and her eyes widened with fear. Using all his strength, the mouse raised his upper body over the side of the cage to find someone waiting for him. Well, if it isn't our brave little knight, Botticelli said, sneering in the mouse's face. With one paw, he grabbed Despero by the neck and raised him above his head. Above his head. And it seems he came just in time for dinner. No, cried P. Hmm, I wonder, said the rat, pulling a blade from his belt. Should I finish you off myself or turn you into cat food? Botticelli dangled the mouse over the edge of the cage, where just below, the snarling cat snapped at the heels of the tasty offering. Chapter 35. Light. It all began with one ray of light, but sometimes one is enough. As the villagers watched, that one ray made room for more to slip between the grey clouds, and then the light forced the clouds apart and away entirely. The sun took over the sky. It spread through the square, destroying the shadows and painting everything it touched with a rainbow of colour. Sunlight filled every crevice, including the chimney shaft. No longer a weak trickle, the light burst down the shaft to where P's fallen necklace still lay. The beam reflected off the gold locket and shot straight to the centre of the rat world. The cat jumped for the mouse, just missing him. One more try and the little rodent would be his. Here, kitty, 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 Botticelli said, hanging Despero over the cat. Here, kitty, kitty, ah! Botticelli winced as if in pain. What is that? Botticelli asked. He squinted at the light seeping through the hole in the wall. Light illuminated the rat village, the bones, the mounds of rotting trash in the Colosseum floor. The rats shielded their eyes and cowered, except for one. In the light, Roscuro spotted the magnifying glass above the royal box, and the rat knew what he had to do. He climbed to the top of the box, he pointed the glass toward the ray of sun and aimed a powerful blast of light toward the cage. Botticelli was blinded. He released Despero and covered his eyes. He staggered backward, stepping right off the edge of the cage. He screamed. There was silence. Despero peered down below. Botticelli lay on the Colosseum floor. But that wasn't the worst of it. As the rat lay on the floor, an enormous shadow crept over him. The rat opened his eyes. Please, Kitty, no, no, no! The tomcat raised a clawed paw. Botticelli ran for the nearest shelter, the cat cage. And the cat followed him in. With one kick, P slammed the door shut. The force made the door's latch fall, and it locked, and then it was difficult to tell which was louder, the cat's snarls or the rat's long, tortured howl. From the top of the cage, Despero looked down at his princess and smiled, and the princess smiled back. It was over, they thought. But Roscuro was not finished. He swiveled the magnifying glass around, sending beams of light all over the dungeon. Screaming rats scurried into any darkness they could find disappearing into cracks and holes until the underground village was quiet and flooded with light. Despero untied P. She sat up and smiled. Thank you, my good gentleman, she said. Behind the mouse, someone sniffed. Despero and P turned to see the rat who had stayed behind. 
Roscuro walked hesitantly, hesitantly up to P, and their eyes met again. I am sorry, said Roscuro. You have nothing to be sorry about, said the princess, and with her words the rat's heart softened, just like that. In another part of the dungeon, a father held the daughter he thought he'd lost forever. I'm so sorry, Gregory said to Mig, hugging her tight. You've no idea how sorry I am. And Miggery Sow enjoyed the strange new feeling that lightened her heart. And in his chambers, the king stood at his window, looking down at his subjects drenched in sunlight. I am so sorry, said the king quietly, almost to himself. His people cheered at the sight of him, and his kingdom once again glistened like a tiny jewel against the sea. The king turned, as always, toward the painting of his queen, and he smiled. Epilogue So you could call all of this a big misunderstanding if you wanted to. A king was hurt, so he hurt a rat. And a rat was hurt, so he hurt a princess. And a princess was hurt, so she hurt a servant girl without even meaning to. And that servant girl had been hurting for so long that almost nothing could make her feel better. But was it a mistake? Or was it just good luck? Because the servant girl went back to her farm and the jailer finally found his princess and the king found something stronger than grief and the mice finally got rid of their fear. Miggery Sow got her very own tiara from Princess P herself and Mig happily returned to her pigs as her father lovingly watched over her and the king played a new tune just for his daughter and young mice everywhere took up the new sport of running through obstacle courses of mouse traps while their parents clapped. And the people of Dor lived side by side with their rats, all except the one who went back to sea and felt cool breezes each morning and sun on his face every afternoon. And our small hero? Well, he had many more adventures to come, because a valiant knight will always find adventure, even if he makes his own. And those who listened carefully could often hear the mouse's small cry of victory. And we tell you they all lived happily ever after. But what fun is that? The end.